Well, it is really, really, really good and special for me and my family to be here with you all on this special Sunday. So many faces I don't recognize, which is a great thing because that means the Lord has been building His church. Amen? Amen. Every time the church gathers, it is an exciting time for believers. It's an exciting time for us to slow down and think what God is doing in this world. I get excited when I think about the church coming together and gathering to worship Him because these are the very things that God is interested in. God has promised that in the very age that we are living in right now, that He is going to build His church. Nothing is going to stop the building of His church. In fact, we can be so confident that Jesus is going to build His church because He gave His life for the church. He gave His very life for the church. Now, if Jesus is willing to make such a radical sacrifice for the church, do you think He cares about the church? I think we all would say absolutely, right? In fact, He is so passionate about His bride, the church, that He has set apart specific men to lead the church and care for His people. And Scripture teaches us that it's important to think about who these men are, who are going to lead the flock of God. It's been taught here at this church already over the last few months, in Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, he gives a lot of instructions of what kind of men God is looking for to lead His church. God is not silent about this issue. And one of the joys that we have again today is to be together and see, to see for ourselves that the very plan of God is still advancing. The very plan of God is still marching forward because God is building His church because He has gifted the church with godly leaders. And yet today we get to slow down and officially recognize these men as leaders in the church. Ephesians 4 tells us that godly leaders are in fact a gift to the local church. Now when it comes to appointing elders in the church, it is not a random process. It's not this random process where Dumi and Nslantla or even Donovan or even us as elders at Living Hope Church have decided that here are some guys who are serving so let's make them elders. You are just as much involved in this process of appointing elders because these are men who have been evaluated by you. They were brought before you and they were asked that you would look at their way of life. That you need to consider these men who are living in according to what they believe. Are they proclaiming the truth and are, are they living according to that truth? Men who are examples that you can follow. Men that are the real deal. Men that are the real deal because sometimes what you see is not what you get. What you see is not what you get. In fact, one of the realities of the early church is there was this big problem 
The same problem we still have today where there are men who are leaders in the church, but they shouldn't be. Men who pretend to be one thing, but they're not living according to the very truth they proclaim. Men who are in ministry with the wrong motivations, who seek to advance their own agendas instead of God's agenda. And that is why I thought for our special service today, this morning, we could take a closer look at a leader who was in fact the real deal. A shepherd of God's church who was authentic, passionate, and caring. Because God's word teaches us is that godly shepherds and elders will reflect a genuine love and commitment to the people they've been called to lead. And so to consider what a real, simple, supernatural shepherding approach looks like, I thought we could turn to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles, please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want us to read the first 12 verses and see what Paul's leadership looked like when he was with these believers in Thessalonica. I want us to see what shepherding or elderly, elder, eldering looks like that is the real deal. And so let's read from verse 1, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. This is the word of God. It says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to speak entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, if you look at this portion of Scripture, there's no way we can cover absolutely everything that Paul has just unpacked in these verses. But my goal for us today, this morning, is to consider five commitments of biblical shepherding. 
Five commitments of biblical shepherding as we consider the example of the Apostle Paul. Because for Paul, what you see is what you get. He is the real deal. And the Thessalonians knew this firsthand. Paul was a man who was confident in his leadership because his life and ministry was open to inspection. He was not afraid to be evaluated by people. In fact, in the context, we see that people were making accusations against him. Other false leaders in the area were trying to discredit Paul and point out that he's a phony. Now Paul's like, well, let's think about this for a moment. Because notice how many times Paul challenges the Thessalonians to recall their first-hand experience of having Paul be with them and how he cared for them. Look at this. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know. Then later in chapter 2, as you know. Verse 5, as you know. Then at the end of verse 5, God is our witness. Verse 9, for you remember. Verse 10, you are witnesses. And again in verse 11, for you know. Paul wants to make it really, really clear that he had nothing to hide. That the church would have known exactly what he was like when he was with them. Because you see, sometimes there's a gap between what we think other people think of us and what other people really think of us. Because even as all these accusations were going around against Paul, he was still confident in his leadership because he knew that he was shepherding God's people in a biblical way. And that is the kind of confidence that godly shepherds in the church should have. To be open and real with people as you care for them biblically. And to help us see what that looks like, I want us to then consider the five commitments of biblical leadership from this text. Five commitments of what it looks like to shepherd God's people according to God's way. And the first one is biblical shepherds are committed to be bold and courageous. Biblical shepherds are committed to be bold and courageous. Look at verse 2. Uh, the first two verses of chapter 2. He says, For yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had been already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You see, this Thessalonian church plant was not going very smoothly. As Paul was moving from one area to the other, there was this intense persecution that was following all, all along. As Paul was preaching about Jesus and the truth of forgiveness and Jesus alone, people didn't like it. And they chased him, him and his team out of the area from one place to another. But because Paul had such an intense and great love for the people that he was ministering to, he grew concerned for them he was concerned they would face the same opposition that he was facing and so he writes to encourage the believers in this new church which is most of chapter one 
But here in chapter 2, he's responding to these false allegations that have been made against him. He's responding so that he could comfort the people of God who are facing the same kind of opposition that he did. And the persecution that Paul was facing, even in places like Philippi, did not stop him from boldly proclaiming the truth. And at least this shows us that a faithful shepherd needs to be strong and courageous. Because you can't lead the church and expect them to take risks for Jesus if you don't show your own commitment to the very truth you seek to proclaim. If you look back at chapter 1 verse 6, it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. In other words, the Thessalonians were willing to suffer for the sake of their faith because of seeing the example of what that looks like in Paul. Of what that looks like in Jesus. They had a pastor who was leading out of example. You see, even if there were already all these challenges that Paul encountered in bringing the gospel to the Thessalonians, he wanted these frail and young believers to know that the ministry that he had was not in vain. This church plant was not in vain. It wasn't ineffective. It wasn't for nothing. Rather, the faith in Jesus, even though it's difficult, became this well-known testimony to, to so many other churches in the area. And so with great courage, he preached the truth of the gospel, knowing what kind of suffering might come his way. As one pastor says, courage is a missing ingredient in the lives of many Christians. Especially leaders. Their fear of personal hardship causes them not to be bold and risk anything for Christ. But Paul shows us here that he was willing to go all the way. He was willing to be strong and courageous for the good of other people. He was willing to stick to the main thing, which is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it means there will be some kind of emotional or physical suffering. In fact, we see actually a few other examples of this in the Old Testament, don't we? Think back all the way to Joshua in the Old Testament. Here's a guy who is taking over from the mighty leader Moses. You mean talking about an intimidating shoes to fill, right? He had to lead all these people across the river. He had to conquer the city that looked like nothing could penetrate it. And he had to lead this massive, massive group of people to this unknown land and territory where anything could happen. It's not too hard to imagine that fear could have hindered his leadership however what does God call Joshua to be Joshua 1 verse 6 be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them be strong and courageous because I promised that God will give his land to his people Think of the prophet Jeremiah. I mean, God basically told the prophet Jeremiah, everyone's going to be against you. 
But then in Jeremiah 1.19, God says, they will fight against you. But then he gives them this encouragement in the same sentence. But they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Where have you heard those words before? I will be with you. Is this not what Jesus told the disciples in the Great Commission? And this task of going to all nations and making him known to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 20. For behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Even in this very age right now where Jesus is building his church, he says, Christians should be bold and courageous because I am with you. As we appoint leaders in the church, I am with you. And Christian shepherds can go the distance even if people are turning against them because of the courage and strength they find in knowing that God has a plan and to use their faithful suffering and boldness to advance the gospel to all nations. Because when you're bold for Jesus, it will not be in vain. It will not be in vain. And so a good question for any Christian leader or shepherd or elder or even a Christian is, are you willing to take up the call to lead God's people when you know it's going to be hard? Are you willing to take up the call to lead God's people even if you know for a fact, guaranteed, it's going to be hard? Will you stand up against the culture of the day? Will you even stand up against your own culture to do what's biblical? To prioritize the things of God rather than the world? Will you stand up against the government if they want to restrict your religious freedom? And are you even willing to stand up against other leaders in the church to protect and proclaim the truth of the gospel? In 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, Paul exhorts Timothy with these words he says as for you always be sober-minded endure suffering to do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry see part of the call of elders in the church is to fulfill their ministry but how how by enduring suffering by enduring suffering be bold and courageous even if it means people don't like you be bold and courageous even if it means that people will turn against you. Be bold and courageous to tell people they are dead in their sins and that Jesus is their only hope who can make them truly alive and forgive them of all their sins. It's pretty easy to want to start compromising on the truth if you think you might suffer for it. It's easy to compromise on the truth if you think you're going to get pushback. In 1 Kings 22, there was another prophet who was tempted to compromise the word of God by only prophesying all the good things that was directed at Ahab at that time. But we see this man boldly declaring the totality of God's word. And soon after, you actually don't hear much of this prophet anymore because most likely he's lost his life. Because of being committed to the truth. 
being committed to being bold for God. Which means biblical leaders can't fulfill their ministry if they're not committed to being bold for Jesus and courageous for Jesus. Godly shepherds will sacrifice for the truth and stand up for the truth because they are committed to being bold and courageous. That's the first commitment. Second one. Biblical shepherds are committed to honor God and not man. To honor God and not man. This is verses 4 and 6. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. See, one of the most freeing realities for any Christian or any leader in the church is to know that our goal is not to please man, but to please God. It is very tempting when things are going hard to fear man more than we fear God. To feel the pressure to keep people happy rather than being faithful to please God. I mean, a simple illustration. Think of a leader in the church who's constantly worried about, I mean, what did that new visitor think when he came to church? What did they think of the sermon? How about the songs we sang? Did they like the food? What about the food? What about me? Do they like me? Why are they talking to the other person, asking them for advice, but not talking to me? Maybe we should change the order of service. Maybe people don't like it because they didn't come back. See, the freedom from the fear of man comes by knowing and trusting that you already have the approval of God. The freedom from the fear of man comes by knowing and trusting that you already have the approval of God. That's why Paul says, just as God has approved us to be in this position. That approval gives him and his team this confidence to speak in a way and to do ministry in a way that will please God and not people. This is approaching ministry with a one-person audience. This is approaching life with a one-person audience. Instead of being pulled in all these different directions by all the opinions of other people, Paul was able to keep his focus on God's approval of him. See, the word approval here is used in the, the perfect tense, which means God's approval is something that started in the past and it continues into the present. Paul can keep on preaching boldly because he knew he had God's approval behind the message he was proclaiming. Even if he's going to suffer for it. Even if people started slandering his name behind his back. Even if people in the church started turning against him. But notice also that Paul says that God is the one who not only gave him the approval but who also tests his heart. The testing of the heart. In other words, first God approves, then he continues to examine. Which means there's not a moment where God does not have his eye on his people. Think of Proverbs 15 verse 3, that says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. See, God examines our hearts. 
And he sees what's going on in there. He sees whether we are the real deal or not. He sees if we are trying to fake it to make it. And he examines our hearts and he sees through all the excuses we might have when it comes to the way we care for people in the church. He's through all the excuses we might try and make to avoid suffering for the good of others. See, but knowing that God approves us and examines us, it actually sets us free to honor Him with our lives and our leadership. John Stotts says it well. He says it like this. God is a more knowledgeable, impartial, and merciful judge than any human being or ecclesiastical court or committee. To be accountable to Him is to be delivered from the tyranny of human criticism. Because the reality for any leader in the church is you're going to be criticized. Not everyone's going to think you're as awesome a shepherd as you think you are. Not everyone's going to like the way you teach God's Word. Not everyone's going to like the way you lead the church. And to help us have the right perspective about all these kinds of criticisms in the church, we need to realize that God is the one that approves. And He does not entrust the gospel to those He does not approve. And because He approves and examines, it does not matter what others think about you, but what God already knows about you. Further down in verse 6, Paul says, Nor did we seek the glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Someone that knows he has the approval of God doesn't need the glory from other people. Someone that knows that God examines his heart doesn't need to use his position as a leader in the church to exalt himself above other people. Paul, we know, could have used his apostleship to be treated with more respect and more authority in the church, to have people have this high regard for him. I think we, this is, we see this all over the place. The so-called man of God says this or that and expect people to jump and do what he says. The man of God thinks he's above other people. He can use his place of authority and leadership to get what he wants. We live in a world where people abuse their authority all the time. Where people seek their own glory all the time. But a biblical shepherd is committed to honor God with his life and leadership. Because he knows God is for him. He knows God is with him. He knows God approves of him because of entrusting him with the responsibility to proclaim and defend the truth of the gospel. He has a commitment to honor God and not to please man. Which then brings us to a third commitment. So far we've seen that biblical shepherds are committed to being bold and courageous. To honor God and not to please man. And now thirdly, a biblical shepherd is committed to serve with pure motives. Serve with pure motives. Look at verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. 
You see, Paul didn't come to Thessalonica to get something for himself. He didn't go through all the suffering to get something for himself. This stands against the conscience of so many so-called leaders today who want ministry for the wrong reasons. People who want to push their own agendas. People who want to fill up their own bank accounts. People who want to have a large group of people chant their name. In fact, Jesus warns us that these kinds of leaders, they promise a lot of things, but they never deliver on those promises. Matthew 7 verse 15, Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What does a ravenous wolf do? He seeks to devour you see, for some reason, when I scroll through Facebook or social media, I get these posts of these guys that have got the slick haircuts, the cool jeans, the golden chains, the white shoes, walking around on stage telling people how awesome they are and how awesome life that Jesus is. And all these guys are interested in doing is to seek to gather a following because they're passionate about their own glory. In fact, in Paul's day, there were also people walking around who were pretty good at public speaking. And they were trying to persuade everyone else that Paul wasn't the real deal. And so he responds to that by saying that my motives are clear. He's like, I didn't come with fancy words that flatter people. I came and told you like it is. In other words, I'm not a smooth talker, I'm a truth talker. Paul was committed to share the truth and not use his words or his position to make people feel better about themselves. He didn't use his words to get people to like him. He used God's words so that people will love God. Proverbs 26, 28 says, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Paul knows that the gospel is not something that you sell. His goal is not to talk you into Christianity like these call center guys who phones you who wants to sell you another life insurance premium. Paul understood that the gospel is a gift that is to be received. A gift that is to be received. A gift that is worth more than anything in this life. And if you know how much you have in Jesus Christ, then it frees you from greed. It frees you from being greedy. See, Paul says he didn't suffer for the sake of the gospel so that he could benefit from other people's generosity. See, the word's pretext for greed here in verse 5 is described as pretending or concealing what is actually true. In other words, Paul didn't pretend to be this, this poor struggling pastor so that he can make more money off the church. And the reality is that ministry can be hard. It's real. It affects your financial situation. And sometimes people are tempted to pretend that they have nothing 
in order that they can get more. We can become greedy in this life when we shift our focus from the riches of the gospel to the riches and comforts of this life. In Isaiah 56, 11, the prophet describes what the false shepherds are like and who are only in it for themselves. He says it like this, the dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Pretty intense picture, right? Like a hungry dog that just keeps on eating and eating and doesn't know when to stop, thinking of himself. That is the same as a shepherd who's only concerned about his own gain. And the antidote again to this kind of wrong motivation for being in ministry is knowing that God is our witness. Because not only does the one person audience free you from the pleasing of other people, but it also frees you from seeking to please yourself. Biblical shepherds are not in it for the money. They're not in it for the comforts of life. They don't seek to sell you something so that they can generate large crowds and bigger budgets. See, a biblical shepherd is not in ministry for himself. Because when you realize and keep realizing how rich you are in the gospel, then every time you proclaim the gospel, you're reminded with all boldness and courage that you're seeking to honor God and not man, and you are made free from the love and cares of this world because you're living for a world that's coming. When you are satisfied with Jesus, then you won't be satisfied with the things of this world. And so again and again, Paul is describing to us, he's showing us what biblical shepherding looks like. He, it's, it's an open book. He doesn't have to hide his intentions. His motives are pure and remain pure when the motivation to serve in ministry is not to benefit yourself, but to see others benefit and understanding what it means to have a personal, saving, satisfying, life-altering relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know what I'm talking about? Which then brings us to the fourth commitment. Biblical leaders are committed to be bold and courageous, to honor God and not please man, to serve with pure motives. And now fourthly, biblical shepherds are committed to be caring. They're committed to be caring. Paul's going to use different illustrations from the family to help us see what his shepherding approach was like. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I think we all know that Paul was a pretty prolific church planner, right? But the thing is, even though he had all these churches that he was involved with and responsible for, he still treated the Thessalonians as, as if they were their only, his only church. In a very short space of time, the level of relationship had gone very, very deep. 
He developed a great love for these people and they knew it. You see, because the gospel doesn't only transform relationships, but it has the power to transform us from being someone who is tough to being someone that is gentle and caring. Think of Paul's own life. He was there when Stephen was being stoned in Acts. He was a very, very intense guy. But the gospel changed his heart and softened his heart in the way he cared for other people. And so he first mentions this family picture of a gentle mother. And so when you think of a nursing mother, it's actually a pretty beautiful picture because it's this picture of this intimate care. But I'm sure, pretty sure all the nursing mothers here know what kind of sacrifice it is to get up at 2 a.m. in the morning to give your baby some food. Because you know what kind of needs your child has. You understand that you must make the sacrifice for their good. And the picture of a nursing child helps us see that Paul's approach was gentle and careful. Gentle and careful. Instead of being this tough and rough guy with the Thessalonians, they had this first-hand experience of Paul's gentle and careful approach toward them. People who were new to the faith. Because now imagine someone comes to the church. And they want to talk to one of the leaders. And they want to unpack that burden that they've been struggling with. And this, this response they get is all this toughness. Do you think that person is going to come back and share their struggles again? In Isaiah 40 verse 11 we read, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. Who do you think Isaiah is talking about? Everyone's going, Jesus, it's obvious. Yes, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus, our great shepherd, who is gentle in the way he leads his people. And the elders of a church, the leaders of the church, one anothering as the opportunity to help the weak and the strong to experience the gentleness of Jesus and the way we care for one another. But another reality with a nursing baby is that they need constant attention, right? They need constant attention. Which means biblical shepherds are committed to not only knowing their sheep in an intimate way, but to sacrifice constantly in order to help them grow. Because the temptation can be to think that, but I've already explained this truth to you. Why are you not changing? I mean, I preached that one good sermon on anger. Why are you still angry? You see, Paul loved the people and he was gentle toward them and he was able to display the love of Jesus to them through his patience and his perseverance and constant care and attention. He knew what was going on in the life of these people. But not only did, God feed, did Paul feed God's people with the truth of the gospel, he also shared of himself. 
Look at verse 8. He also shared of himself. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. You see, sometimes we don't want to share our lives with other people because of being hurt by a relationship. Maybe there's this tendency that we want to pull back from a certain relationship because of the, the criticism that you have received. Or maybe the way someone took advantage of your help and care. However, Paul shows us again that he loved people and he was willing to share himself with them. He was willing to share himself with them. And when people start to share themselves by making the effort to be with other people and not live a life from behind a pulpit or behind a ministry of serving in the church, you start to realize that we're all just sinners that need the grace of Jesus. We're all sinners who need the same gospel. When shepherds are able to show their vulnerability to the sheep, it deepens their relationship. Dumi alluded to this text earlier, but in Hebrews 4.15, we see that we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. And the only way for Jesus to identify with our weaknesses was for Him to become like one of us and to live amongst us. And the same is true for biblical shepherds. You need to be among the people to understand the needs of the people. To understand their challenges. To resonate with their struggles. In fact, in verse 9, and I don't want to get too much into it, Paul says that he worked night and day so that he won't be a burden on the people. I mean, the Bible teaches us that he has the very right to, to, to gain support from the church. But Paul wanted to be in the fields with the people. He wanted to work among them. He didn't want to be a burden to them. He wasn't just interested to be face with face with them. He wanted to be side by side with them, willing to get his hands dirty. Because often the perception can be that the pastor cannot be the one who packs the chairs, right? The pastor is not the one that's supposed to be setting up the sound. He's not the one that's supposed to help clean up the church afterwards. Paul didn't agree with that. He wanted to be among the people. He wanted to be in their homes. He wanted to labor next to them for the cause of Christ. And it's because he had this intense love for the people. I mean, how does he put it? Affectionately desirous. Let's be honest. Have you ever said that towards someone else in the church? Maybe the husbands to their wives, I'm hoping. But have you ever said, I'm affectionately desirous for you in the church? It's the same kind of language he uses in Philippians 1.8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And how much do we know Jesus loves us? So much so that He would leave the glories of heaven, take on the humility of humankind, and die for our sins on a cross. You see, when the sheep in the church, people like you and me, do stupid things and hurtful things, the shepherds don't run away from them. 
They keep pursuing the sheep with gospel affections because that is what Jesus does with us. If you want to shepherd God's people, you need to be like a gentle mother. You need to be with the people. You need to be committed to being a caring person. But now finally, not only do children need the gentle care of their mother, they also need what? The firm encouragement of their father. Our final commitment for today. Biblical shepherds are committed to holiness. Look at verse 11 and 12. For you know like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul had to be firm. Like a father, like a wise father with his children who might know the truth but are struggling to live it out. You see the beautiful balance here between the gentle care of a mother and the firm exhortation of a father. In fact, Paul is committed to living a life of holiness and he wants the Thessalonians to do the same. He said back in verse 10 that the church was aware of his holy and righteous and blameless conduct toward them. This is a man that was practicing what he was preaching. However, Paul is not saying that elders never sin or make mistakes. But what he is saying is that elders are committed to living a holy life as an example to the rest of the flock. Because of the righteousness and blamelessness they have in Jesus. Christians know that God is for them. They know they can't earn the love of God. They know that grace and complete forgiveness of sins is a gift from God. And the reality of the great exchange between Jesus taking our sins in exchange for His holiness makes it possible for any believer to be one with Him. The very truth that motivates us to holiness. And fathers want to help their struggling children to grow in purity and in holiness because of the love they have for them. Which means, church, you should expect your leaders to exhort you, encourage you, and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. See, the word worthy is the word axios. It means bringing into balance or equivalent. You know those old scales, you know, when, when they weigh it, like the judge system. You know, you put the weight down, one lifts up, the other goes down. You're trying to find the equilibrium. You want to bring your life into balance. You want to bring your life into balance with the reality of your union with Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says sometimes leaders in the church will charge people to live in such a way that your life weighs the same as the gospel. And if the gospel is the power of God for salvation, as Romans 1.16 says, then we need to live a life in a powerfully saved way. See, someone that doesn't love you is not going to point out when your life is out of balance. They will ignore your sin 
and the messiness that comes with it. But like a loving father, biblical leaders are committed to pointing people to live a holy life. A life where you recognize that you have been called into God's kingdom and glory. God's kingdom and glory, which means God wants His under-shepherds to keep pointing people to heaven. A very, very long time ago in 1836, one man said this, I am but a stranger here, heaven is my home. Earth is a desert clear, heaven is my home. Danger and sorrow stand around me on every land, but heaven is my fatherland. Leaders who don't point you to heaven are not biblical leaders. Because one of the ways we grow in this life is to keep our minds set on the one that's coming. And we all need help with this. We all need help with this. We all need to keep focusing on what will satisfy us forever instead of living for what won't satisfy us now. I like how one man says it. He says, God does not have one standard in heaven and another here on earth. His standard now as we walk toward heaven is a walk in holiness. What does your walk look like, church? What does your walk look like? Biblical leaders should therefore be committed to walk with God so that they can help others walk in a manner worthy of God. In Acts 20, 28, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, very familiar passage, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Talking to the elders of the church, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's where the confidence comes from, to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Jesus is passionate about His church. He's affectionately desirous for you. He wants you to be holy. Because He gave His life for that purpose. And he appoints leaders in the church who are to reflect the leadership of Jesus, the gentleness of Jesus, the care of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for the way God has been working in Dumi's life and in Schlangschler's life, where they've responded to the call to help lead Pretoria West Bible Church. These are men who are ready to make the commitment, who have been making the commitment to be biblical leaders who are bold and courageous. Who seek to honor God and not man. Who want to serve with pure intentions. Who want to be caring toward you. Who want you to be holy as they pursue holiness themselves. I mean, what a gift to the church, right? What a gift to the church. And so I want to close with the following exhortation to all of you. Because you have evaluated these men... And you've seen that they're the real deal. You must allow them to care for you and lead you and follow them as they follow Jesus. You can help the elders of this church lead you better if you are open and honest with them. Why? Because you know God knows your heart. 
He examines you all the time. He has His eyes set on you all the time. You can open your her homes and your hearts to them and allow them to speak truth into your life, pointing into a life of holiness to walk in a way that is worthy of God. See, biblical shepherds are the real deal. But just like you, they are sinners who need the grace of God every single day. So let us pray that God will help us Praise Him for this gift in the church. Praise Him for the men that He's raised up amongst us. Pray that His church will continue to grow and raise up more men that will care for His people like Paul did, like Jesus did. Paul's this example of simple yet supernatural shepherding. And let's thank God for what He's doing in this church today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful as I open up Your Word this morning with this church here, Lord, just to be in awe again that You are the one building Your church. Father, thank You that You are not silent of what biblical leadership looks like. Thank You that You do not entrust people with the Gospel that You have not approved. Thank you that your church is part of that process. Thank you that we can find confidence in shepherding your people. That we can find confidence in being shepherded by people. Because we have your word. We have your truth. Lord, it is my prayer that Pretoria West Bible Church would be a flourishing church. That flourishes under the leadership of these men. Men who seek to honor you who are bold and courageous for you, who serve you with pure intentions, who, who don't seek to gain themselves. Men who are passionate about holiness. Men who are passionate about your gospel. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for this gift. And so we pray your blessing upon our time now as we set these men apart for this important call. For this important responsibility. Knowing Jesus, you are the head of this church. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.